Hello everyone, welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. We have a lot of topics we're going to be going over today, so we're just going to jump straight into it. Uh, first thing is first. We've talked a lot about the PlayStation Classic on this podcast. Yeah. This is good news. <laughs> for oh, me. It's good news for us. <laughs> for us, not for Sony. <laughs> really bad news for Sony. Yeah, the PlayStation Classic is now... Fifty-one ninety-nine on uh, Amazon. So if you were holding out for it to drop price, it's getting into the range where, especially with any modding like uh, we've been doing on our SNES yeah. minis, that's and, what and makes it. I wouldn't stuff. buy these otherwise. Um, with a little modding, you can make this thing a total beast. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm on the cusp. I'm getting ready. I think I want to see if it can drop just ten more dollars. Forty can. I think I'll be all over that. But anyways, we've talked about it in the past, so I just wanted to bring it to your attention. If you've been waiting on this thing, it's now basically half off on Amazon. So go check it out if you want to buy one. It's a pretty good price. Second uh, bit of news from this week: um, there's been a patent filed by Sony. Actually, I think the person who filed it. What's his name again? He's the guy who basically designed Mark Cerny. Yeah, that, that who, guy. Yeah, the guy who presented it. Yeah, he's like designed yeah. the PlayStation 4, or at least was at the head of the teams or whatever. The the hamburger style. Yeah. So they've um they filed a patent for basically backwards compatibility. I'll just go ahead and read what this says. Sony filed a patent for a method of backwards compatibility. Supposedly, the newly devised system, as authored by Mark Cerny, the guy who designed the PlayStation 4, will allow the PS5 to run all previous PlayStation software. And yes, in theory, that covers PS1, PS2, PS3, and PS4 games. That is crazy. Now, that is just, because, just because they are filing a patent for this doesn't mean that that's going to be... A, a feature of the PlayStation 5 right. by any means. But if this is true, I mean, like, in today's uh, console market, it almost seems, like, stupid to buy a system like Launch because they always release a better one, like, a couple years later. Yeah, totally. And yeah. by that time, they have, like, an actual, like, working library of cool games for you to buy and try out. So it seems to me... In recent years, it's just been a better idea to better idea to wait a little bit uh, mm. to get you know work through the bugs, release like a more efficient console, more just a better version, and you have like more games to choose from. However, a feature like this, total and complete real backwards compatibility with the entire PlayStation library, is yeah. worth going out and getting something day one because even if they don't have the best launch lineup. You still can play everything you've ever had before. Like, I can That's play, true. I can get the discs out for Final Fantasy VII and, like, freaking play that in the PlayStation 5. That's amazing. Chocolate Rob says, too good to be true. And, and he probably is on He's probably right. <laughs> He's probably right. Again, a yeah. uh, patent doesn't mean that it's going to happen. But yeah. if that were true, I would buy a PlayStation 5 you on know- that one. That's yeah. That's the kind of thing that Sony can do. I guess Xbox um, would be their main competitor there, with the reason why they would even need this patent. Um, yeah. 
but this is something that is well outside of Nintendo's reach. They can oh, no. never do something like this. Ever. Definitely not. The cartridge to disc, back to cartridge thing, and they're all different <laughs> sizes and shapes. And Nintendo can never do this. And so it's pretty smart that Sony is, you know, putting a gap, putting a barrier between them and Nintendo. It would be super sick if they could do it. I know. Anyways. Dude, can you imagine what that slot would look like? Where it's like you can <laughs> you can fit anything, like, any CD cartridge, like mini. Oh, you're disc. talking about like a Nintendo version? Yeah, if a Nintendo had yeah. it, it would be just like this weird. You'd take like, take like the faceplate, take the faceplate off, and then there'd be like two like disc slots <laughs> for regular yeah. DVD size, and then one for like the GameCube size, mm-hmm. and then like several different like cartridge slots. One for the Switch, which is basically an SD. Yeah, that'd be nuts. Yeah, be crazy. Okay. Anyways, we'll keep an eye on that. Yep. I'm sure you all will as well, but that'd be super cool. Uh, another interesting uh, article I found, Yasunori Mitsuda, the composer of uh, the Chrono games, Chrono Cross, Chrono Trigger, Xenogear, stuff like that, celebrating Chrono Cross's 20th anniversary with a live concert tour in November. Cool. Um, a lot of people uh, were super stoked about the Xenogear's 20th anniversary last year. I still have yet to listen to that. I've been so busy. I've been meaning to listen to that because you can find it online. But um, they're going to be doing Chrono Cross this year. So uh, anybody wants to take a trip out to Tokyo or Osaka (laughs) or or Aichi, (laughs) go see that live. Uh, November might be a good time to go and visit Japan. Wait for the live CD to be released. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to this, uh, last uh, this is something that this was. It's not old necessarily. I think the game came out last week, but uh, this game called Another Eden, the Cat Beyond Time and Space. <laughs> it's a subtitle. Anyways, this is a game from the writer of Chrono Trigger, uh, Masato Kato. Uh, I think the music was also composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. I could be. Um, mistaken about that but I, i'm pretty sure it is anyways this is a mobile game i know a lot of you will groan as soon as i say that um but there are a lot of people a lot of people saying really good things about it i actually downloaded it a couple nights ago haven't had a chance to play it too much but as you can see from the art here you basically have frog right there the game takes a lot of um similar scenarios characters plot threads from Chrono Trigger and sort of like reworks them. In a lot of ways, I've heard people saying that this feels like a, a true spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so it's a game that uh, if you're really into old school JRPGs that you should have on your radar and it's free to download. Obviously, they're going to be, you know, microtransactions, gotcha sort of things worked into there so they can make money on it. But um, I have heard only good things about this. So... I just wanted to let people know about it. And uh, yeah, here it is right there. Yasunori Mitsuda was the musical <laughs> nice. composition. Scenario writer Masato Kato from Chrono Trigger. Um, anyways, uh, I'm going to be trying this out uh, here and there during the course of the next couple of weeks. I'll let you know what I think of it, but I've heard only, again, really, really good things. So Nice. Eventually, good games will come to the phone. Like, it will happen eventually. <laughs> So this, you know, shouldn't be too surprising. Okay. Um, So here's our main topic for today. I boiled it down to, is video game storytelling limited? Mm. But the topic actually comes from 
Chris Guin on Patreon. And it's a very long quote from uh, John Statz, who worked on World of Warcraft. But it's a very interesting question that uh, I thought maybe we could uh, we could try to break down, discuss with mm. you guys here in the chat. But it, 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 Chris and I, I think I feel a little bit similarly. He he simultaneously wants to be like upset by the notion of it and essentially be like, well, no, I want to disagree with that. But at the same time, he feels like there are some good points made. So let's see what we think of it. Hmm. So I'll just read uh, his post here on Patreon. Uh, I'll go ahead and put it on the screen too. So I've been reading a book called The Wow Diary by John Statz, a big recently released Kickstarter book going over the development history of World of Warcraft. Uh, in the chapter labeled Lore, Stats has this to say. At this point, I want to take a moment to define the role of storytelling in computer game development. Many people have the wrong idea of how lore is created, so I want to clarify a couple of things. First of all, each company handles lore in a different way. But it's often sometime, or it's often someone high in the organization who is in charge of lore, since it's the easiest creative position. The audience is usually forgiving if the storytelling is bad. Now, before the torches and pitchforks appear outside my window, let me explain myself. When I say storytelling is easy, I'm speaking only about computer games. Writing fiction for books, short stories, and screenplays relies on an entirely different skill set, which is why game studios who sign authors onto their projects are usually asking for trouble. A novelist isn't accustomed to the limitations of game development, and writers rarely make a successful crossover. This is because game fiction has a very narrow range of themes that provide fertile ground for content. Uh, tropes such as journeys, improvement, betrayals, ancient secrets, power struggles, exploration, and power vacuums. Subtlety is lost on the gaming audience. I think this is the part that people start to get kind of pissed about. <laughs> Subtlety is lost on the gaming audience. Things like socialization, user interface, Twitch skills, and character advancement are what players focus on. Games require obvious plot lines and archetypal characters because the audience is doing several things at once. There's a cacophony of preoccupying issues, so it's unreasonable to expect players to follow a detailed storyline or subtle hints. Storytellers in this environment must wield blunt instruments. When players say they love a game's story, what they usually mean is they enjoy the immersion. An immersion or immersive environment allows for easy escapism, and there are many contributing factors, the least important of which is story. Games like Half-Life are famous for their stories, yet the narratives aren't particularly, particularly unique. What people liked in Half-Life was the believability of the game's creature behavior, non-linear problem-solving, open-level design, and reactive environment. Stories are the most flexible part of the equation, and matching them to fit the constraints of game development is what makes for a great computer game creative lead, not simply coming up with ideas in a vacuum. Bad storytellers ignore these limitations. So Chris says, reading this led me to a whirlwind of emotions. I want to disagree with him on some of this, but I also think some of this is right. This may be too long a chunk to be podcast appropriate, but I'm curious how you would respond to stats characterization of game storytelling. Well, what would be your first thoughts on that? 
my first, it's funny because he takes something that I've mentioned before where I say, in my opinion, in my experience of all of the um, <clears throat> mediums of media of entertainment that I have become acquainted with outside of music, just music alone, I guess, uh, video games tend to have the least good stories. <laughs> Generally speaking, I've said that many times. Um, it's because there's other focuses on a video game. He takes that notion and he he just kind of like, he he goes a little too far with it. He, he goes a little like, you know, when he talks about Half-Life or, I mean, he's got a point. Half-Life's mostly about puzzle solving. Even when we talk about games like, um, oh gosh. Hey, what's that? Um, what's that game made by the Final Fantasy Tactics creator? Vagrant Story. Vagrant Story. Even when we talk about a game like Vagrant Story that has a a cool story, ninety percent of the game is you're just solving puzzles. You're going around and you're moving boxes around and you're jumping on things. And you're trying to figure out how to maneuver around a room and get out of places, right? So even games that have good stories, it's really easy to um, to look at it and say, well. When there is a story, it's pretty good, but for the most part, there isn't a story. And, you know, that's easy, right? He takes that a little bit further and kind of equates most video games to be like kind of like Nintendo, right? Like that's kind of how I felt with Breath of the Wild when he said, you know, you're so immersed in the game. You can say, oh, this game's so cool. It has a great story. I love it, right? But really, you're just you're just so immersed, right? That's Breath of the Wild for me. That's like the story wasn't clearly the... Uh, motivating the the prime like factor within that game, but it was so immersive that it felt like it was cool, and this little story that was there felt really you know inspired and really good. But there wasn't really a lot of it. But that's fine because you're so immersed in the world, right? But he kind of takes that situation and applies it to kind of like all video games, which which I don't really appreciate too much. But um, you know, I did think a little bit about Mass Effect when they talk about hiring uh, writers. Mm-hmm. to write a game and then the the product maybe not working out super perfectly. I think it's a great game, uh, but I wouldn't say that it's like super great writing or voice acting or any of the other elements of, you know, storytelling that is done better in other mediums. So I kind of agree with him. I really do. Like I meet him halfway. Like I hear it. I don't want to necessarily agree with him, but it's like, it sounds right. Whether um, I agree or not. So, like, here, let me let me look at some of the comments. We got some people talking here. I think this uh, got some people's. Yeah. Talking. And maybe what I said, people disagree with too, and that's totally fine. Um, that is that is how I feel, though. My first comment, this is, comes from Lego Dog. My first comment, gaming isn't a single genre. It's a wide range of genres, and storytelling will scale with how important uh, the narrative is. No one will care about the story in Mario platformer, but will... But will be playing, but will be when playing a visual novel like Ace Attorney. It's a sliding scale. Each genre has different emphasis on it. It's That's true. That's of... why you have to compare like the great stories of video games with the great stories of books or the great stories of movies. And so, video games haven't have a lot of time to really develop there, though. Whereas books have been around for you know thousands of years. So maybe it's not video games' fault that they don't really stack up in that category. They've only been around for like thirty years. I think that he is 
making a generalization that is actually applicable to other storytelling mediums too. Like the crux of what he's saying here is that there's a narrow range of themes that provide fertile ground for content creation. So he's hmm. saying tropes such as journeys, improvement, betrayals, ancient secrets, power struggles, exploration, power vacuums. To me, that's true of Hollywood blockbusters. That's true hmm. of like, um, at least in terms of when you, when you get into like uh, genre like specific things like fantasy novels, right? Like people who write fantasy novels, they retread the same ground yeah, because yeah. there are certain elements of that genre, which are popular. And, you know, these, I guess like creators can get sort of like locked into sort of like doing certain, as he calls them, uh, you know, tropes, um, having archetypal characters, having, essentially like all the plot points of the hero's journey over and over again. Yeah, like this isn't, this is not an exclusive problem to video games, mm -hmm. but this is what happens in, in big budget stuff. So when you, when you're talking about big blockbuster films in Hollywood, when you're talking about AAA video games, yeah, they play it safe and retread the same ground because they know these things are popular, but there are a lot of indie games being made that take the unique uh, aspects of video games, the, the actual gameplay, like decision-making, these, these types of things, right? And they work that into the story in such a way to where it can have a, a really lasting impact. And I think to make a comparison to something like Papers, Please, right, which I think does an amazing job with this, and then say, like, well, it's... Um, dialogue let's say isn't as good as in this or that film or this or that novel i've read i think um does somewhat of a disservice to how gameplay in and of itself can be used as a tool in in telling a story and how that uh can be like the the entire difference of how the story is received and experienced from the uh, from the player's perspective in a way you can't get anywhere else. And that's part of what he's referencing, actually, when he says, when people say that a game had a good story, what, in his opinion, what they mean to say is that they were very immersed in the gaming experience, which, in a, it's not exactly what you're saying, but I feel like you and him may have had a similar thought of the gameplay, which is the immersion aspect of the story, is what makes the story better. And you would say something, whereas he would look at that same fact and say the gameplay, the immersion, is being mistaken for the story. And he, he there's a little bit of a disconnect there between him and the people he's kind of talking to in that sense. Whereas you can look at the same thing and say it adds to it. And he'll look at the same thing and be like, that's just not part of his experience. Like, video games are so new. That's just not, even though he helped make video games, it's like, being immersed in art is is just like I don't know it's it's a it's a weird it's just a weird thing I guess, but that uh, he'll look at it and say that's not the story. Yeah. First of all, Jakobine, thank you for subscribing. You're a beast. Nice. We appreciate you. Yeah, like I I follow that. I, I I can see what he's saying. I think that like at the same time, he's he's making that argument on the back of saying 
an immersive environment allows for easy escapism. Um, that he's he's hmm. sort of like painting the video game audience as uh, people who are not interested in subtlety. They're not interested in um, what did he say here? Where was it? I want to read this part again. Yeah, I think the broader issue is the tone. Uh, of his novelists more than the specific subtlety is lost on the gaming audience things like socialization user interface twitch skills character advancement or what the players really focus on games require obvious plot lines and archetypal characters because the audience is doing several things at once and then he says something like storytellers in this environment must wield blunt instruments I think that that part of it is what I disagree with the most in what he's saying mm-hmm. because there are, I think, a lot of games that rely completely on subtlety. Uh, let's talk about Shadows of the Colossus. Let's talk about oh, like nice. Hyper Light Drifter. These are yeah, not yeah. games that hand you the answers of their plots and lore on a silver platter. Dark Souls is the same way. These are games that require you to think about them, to um, consider the themes, to um, deliver a thematic sort of like message. It is not, the game is not designed with the idea that, oh, like, you know, our, our players don't care about this like interweaving plot, you know. We talk about like Square games and how freaking like nutso their stories get, right? And that the whole yeah. point of them being as crazy as they are is to get people <clears throat> talking about them and discussing them together. You know, they are definitely not approaching their storytelling with, oh, we have to use blunt instruments or, or, or else everything. Yeah, they don't seem to be. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't it's know. It's almost I like think... he took like Nintendo. He took just Nintendo, and he's saying video games. What he really means is just Nintendo. Yeah, or kids games, or, or you know, you know World like of Warcraft, like a or World of Warcraft, sure, massive open like uh, multiplayer online games. Or I, I said all of those letters in the incorrect order, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's a, it's an extreme over generalization that he isn't. I think, like you're saying, and like like Chris is saying, he's not like totally wrong in like the underlying sentiment in that like there's a lot more things to manage when you're creating a game yeah it is harder yeah sure and you know when you sit down to okay i'll put it this way when you sit down to write a story and you're just going to write a novel or something there's literally like zero limitations on the kind of story that you can tell you can freaking write whatever you want to write about and you could make it compelling but video games have to take into account the fact that this is meant to be interactive and the interactive portion of this game needs to be compelling. So how do you make the game compelling without some of the things that he mentions here? Exploration and you know stuff that uh, challenges your Twitch skills... Right. You know, like for fighting well, games and fighting things, of that things. Nature. even um gosh even almost every game is 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 about fighting <laughs> like 98 <laughs> percent of games i mean think of it from the perspective of an older person you know movies have this vast range of 
you know, genres and you can have romantic films with no fighting and you, you, you basically, you almost never get that in video games. I don't want to say never because there are puzzle games like professor Layton or there are games like that, right? Where you're solving puzzles. Um, most games you're fighting things and you're killing people. <laughs> and that does give a perception of they're kind of, all these games are kind of doing the same thing. Right. And if you think of it in terms of an old person looking at video games, I don't know how old this guy is, but his perspective sounds to me a bit like an old person, like what my grandma says about movies <laughs> these days or, or you know, my grandma <laughs> or, or video games or whatever, you know. It, it's just, it comes across that way. And it's kind of like, okay, that's why I can just brush it off and whatever. Um, but at the same time, like video games do have a little bit of, of a um, narrow genre focus where the majority of games are are you're doing almost the same exact thing even in games with a complex story you're still controlling a dude capable of killing like a thousand people mm. or monsters or whatever else you know and or in shadows of the colossus case you're taking down these massive <laughs> huge things you know it's like there is a deeper story there but it is mixed in between this crazy story of a guy who fights a lot he fights a lot and so, that's that's almost more of the story than the actual narrative sometimes. First of all, thank you, Fuse Bro, for subscribing. Appreciate it very much. Appreciate the support. Now, there are some points that I wanted to make, but there are people in the comments already making them. So yeah, I'm going to read what couple. they're saying here. Um, first of all, let's see. HH4Hooch. Yeah, I'm a hard them. disagree that nuance is lost on the masses. People love that. Colin Peluso kind of carries that. He's overgeneralizing his audience. It's insulting. He makes it seem like people only want these this very specific thing. The nuance is lost about as often as in an MMO as nuance being lost in a tabletop role-playing game, says Lego Dog. Um, let's see. I used to play... There was something specific here I read. Well, HH4Hooch made another... Oh, here we go. I think fighting is just the easiest abstraction of conflict. True. So it's easy to use it as the main story mechanic. The fight is a problem you have to solve. It's true, but that's part of his criticism here, is he's saying that they're taking an easy... They're going with an ease with a blunt instrument as opposed to the complexity of a nuanced situation or something, you know. I mean, but but the problem, I guess, the, I guess my problem is, is that he's pretending like video games are the only medium where you, this you, is true. When you brought up Hollywood <laughs> blockbusters, I was like, yeah, everything he said works if you just replace it with like Tom Cruise or you know something like that. <laughs> you know, all oh, the Tom Cruise movies—they just are incapable of telling a story. All they do is tell the same story over and over because they're incapable. He's incapable as an actor of telling a different story, and it's like, okay, whatever, fine. I don't know. Yeah. Got another subscription from This Is Control. Thank you very much. Um, And Fusebro, what's up? Let's see. Uh, Colin says, I didn't want to agree. I didn't want to agree with Kaysen's comment about 90% of games being about fighting, but then I looked at my shelf and 90% of the games have fighting in them. But but again, this is triple A. AAA, I think, is. It's true. It's true. He's he's not. Yeah. The equivalent of Hollywood. So. They're taking the least amount of risks, and they're going to be yes. basically Massive doing people. the same sort of thing. But they and are definitely still have a focus towards a male audience. As much as that's changing little by little, 
the focus for AAA games is still a male audience, and men tend to enjoy breaking things and killing people <laughs> more than women, I'd say. But um, no, but I was going to bring up the fact that, like, while this is going to hold true as as it is for Hollywood movies, um, at the same time, there are tons of indie games that do not follow these trends. True, true. Uh, I don't remember my password for Steam. There's a game that I wanted to talk about specifically. I can't remember what it was called. but well, I You did bring it. up Hyper Light Drifter with nuance, and I thought that was kind of cool, especially with the way that um, you interact with other characters. It's... it's um... It's a game, it's an indie game. You play this little cat character who goes home because uh, she's basically quitting college. And, like, the whole story is kind of, like, about um, this sort of struggle with, like, inadequacy and uh, this there's this mystery that's happening in the town, but she's visiting her friends and she she's hoping that it will be like it was when she was in high school, but, like, those times are past and, like, learning to take responsibility. It's, like, all of these things, there's, like, no fighting in it. There's not a combat system. It's a really, like, interesting story that has nothing to do with any of the things he just mentioned. But that this is kind of where the indie scene you know, can sort of fill in those kinds of gaps in the types exactly. of stories that games can tell. The same way that the indie scene in film, yeah, uh, they, they, they're the ones kind of pushing boundaries or trying really different stuff. Or, yeah. you know, big studios will, will spend their 5 to $10 million on these little experimental films that some of them are Oscar bait or whatever at the end of the year. <laughs> but yeah. all of this is funded by the tentpole superhero films that come out in the summertime. Right. And so... To to make this generalization that video games are not capable of it is what I disagree with. Not the fact that, for the most part, AAA game studios are limited in this way. That part I agree with. Sure, sure. You can't... I wonder... Night in the Woods. Thank you, Lego Doc. That's the game. The game title is Night in the Woods. I, I really liked that game. Yeah, there's kind of like a... Like when you when you look at games and you can say most games this or that, right? And that may or may not be true. You 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 do have to weight games though in relation to how many people are playing them in some way. And when you talk about video games in general, like yeah, there's a lot of indie games that don't <clears throat> that don't get played very much that don't do what he's saying. And then there's the big ones that a lot of people play <laughs> that do exactly what he's saying, but they're kind of just targeting those those people who want that kind of thing anyways. I don't know. It's kind of, it's it's just it's it's getting more and more difficult to place video games in a single category. Sure. The more people play games, the more countries are involved in making games now, the more um I don't know, the more games that come out just in general, the more indie games and the more just content there is to play, the more stuff that comes to your phone or even browser-based stuff, the harder it is to say, this is what games are. And and that's that's what he's doing. And I think that that's probably his biggest mistake. Yeah. And while, like, you know... I don't know. It's hard for me to, like, completely agree with the sentiment that, like, video games have never told a story that is as good as, like, the best novels ever written or the best video or best films I, ever made. I do believe that though. I would argue 
that there are specific, like very specific storytelling um, aspects like dialogue, the, the, the quality of the writing of the dialogue that is not as good. Let's, let's just take like Final Fantasy IX or Final Fantasy VII or something, right? And, and say, like, it's clear that the dialogue in Final Fantasy VII is not up to par with, like, the best films and the best novels ever written. Right. Ever written. But that story itself, like, the concepts, the, the pacing of it, the um, originality of it, like, that story to me was as engrossing, was as, um, as fascinating to me as basically anything I've ever seen or read anywhere else. It is up there for me with the best, while I can still admit that obviously the quality of its writing or maybe like, um, you know, its cinematography being like the first 3D game that Square ever made, not being like on par with the cinematography in, you know, some of the classic films. While those things are not as good, like we just look at that underlying premise, the story, and to me, like I think that that is just as fascinating as anything else I've ever seen. Hmm. Uh, while working under the limitations, maybe this is what the guy's getting at, but working Probably. under limitations of development rather than the limitations of like what the what the medium's capable of doing or 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 what its um what its audience will accept because they don't care about subtlety or they don't care about whatever they really just care about the the immersion right like i wasn't immersed in i think jrpgs are actually a pretty good example of this right because he he brings up half life and he talks about like i guess like the believability and the immersion that came through that, right? Because right. it's like a first-person game. But, like, JRPGs are full of abstractions that are not, like, immersive in the same sense. That's true, that's true, yeah. It's not about, like, feeling like you're in that world in, in, in like, a believable, like, realistic way. So they tell these grand stories with tons of abstractions to cut corners on the idea of, like, true immersion. But they still are, to me, like at, like like I'm saying, like my experience with Final Fantasy VII, you know, I played that as a kid. And so I didn't notice the, you know, like some dialogue sounding weird or whatever as right, much yeah. as I would today. But like I can honestly say as someone who thinks very analytically about storytelling and everything I ever consume, I'm like trying to break it down and like really understand like the techniques behind it. That Final Fantasy VII's story is as fascinating as anything else in any other medium I've ever experienced. While still being limited by the fact that it was on PlayStation 1 hardware. And that they are, yeah, they're working on more than just the story here. They're trying to make sure all the gameplay systems are balanced and that the material works the way it's supposed to and that they've designed all of the different uh, towns that you can visit and that, you know, all of these things are part of it and that takes focus away from just the storytelling, which is different from a person sitting down writing a novel. Mm. 
But even still, that story had as much impact on me and I think was as brilliant a concept as anything else that I've seen elsewhere, if that makes sense. I, it does, and I would agree with... I would at least say that I take those words and would consider them at worth because um like that is true that is probably true for me too um and once again i guess we have to define what the word story means i guess <laughs> but um video games do something that other mediums can't do and there's value there whether you know this guy can see it or not but that was well put um Let's see. Lego Dog says the two games that taught me games are a legitimate storytelling medium were Wind Waker, Xenoblade One. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Palusa says, "Oh, he's talking this one else. Sorry." Melchior Blade brings up Chrono Trigger being the first time he saw the potential of storytelling in video games. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Let me just look at a couple more comments before we move on, because I'm not really sure what else to break down. I think we both agree that the guys. Um, over generalizing the audience and that's the part that we really take issue with but that there definitely are limitations yeah but that those limitations aren't necessarily that much different from every medium has some limitation yeah like okay even in novel writing right which is probably the least limited probably the least yeah (laughs) still if you're writing a fantasy novel and you want that novel to sell there are going to be certain things the publisher is going to go, well, you know, shouldn't you have some dragons in there? Shouldn't right. you have this? Shouldn't you, you know, because they know what shouldn't sells. It be about the hero's journey? So if shouldn't you're, if you're an old wizard sage that helps you along? If you're going to try and sell something, if you're getting into the business of entertainment, you're going to bump into the same exact limitations that he's claiming are seemingly exclusive to video games. Yeah, but, it's all about selling it because you do mention this is true for movies, not all movies, just the movies that sell. This is true mm-hmm. for the games that sell. This is true for books that sell. This is true for the big companies that make a lot of money, no matter yeah. what medium you're in. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if you're an artist, but you want to sell your thing, you're probably yeah. going to have to have some compromise with exactly. your publisher, with your, um, uh, what's it for? films the the distributor distributor yeah the distributor or in video games the you know the um publisher publisher yeah so but if you're just sitting there by yourself and you're like i'm just going to do something i'm going to push boundaries i'm going to go crazy i'm going to do something like no one's ever seen before you can find people who are doing that in video games it's a big publisher to to distribute your work though (laughs) for the most part it's just in the indie scene and i think that that's true pretty much everywhere else so i don't know Mm. anyways let's move on all right i have no idea uh how people are going to respond to all that we'll see you know i thought we had a good discussion and there's some truth (laughs) in what he said and there's some Bull crap in what he said, and there you go. Yeah, that's that's the, the hard part about it. It's like, and, and, and I mean, even Chris said this. Like, you know, reading this led me to a whirlwind of emotions. I want to disagree, but I also think some of this is right, and yeah. ultimately, I agree with what he's saying there. Me too. Me too. It's just that there's 
there's more to it than the guy is pretending. Yeah. But hey, like you said, the guy has to sell his book. That's true. So he He's generated got... controversy and we're talking about it and maybe people can find the book now. So it all comes full circle. Comes full circle, man. He did it on yeah. purpose. He knows, he knows what, what he's, he's doing. doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. All right, let's move to our community stories. We have a few more of these than we usually do. Uh, mm -hmm. Very first one I want to point to, this is actually one we talked about a few weeks ago. This comes from Paul Metcalf. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer for his game here. Uh, it, you guys will probably recognize it right away. Um, this was uh, for a game that is in the vein of uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. So uh, a tactical RPG, grid-based, very, very similar in a lot of like the UI design and uh, transitions and stuff like that. Um, it, it's, it's very uh, clearly inspired by Final Fantasy Tactics. So this was a game that we brought up, I, I want to say couple months ago or something like that but something i was really looking forward to they've been working really hard on it uh they're still developing it and they've they've announced basically the platforms they're going to be releasing this on um which i'll show here in just a second but in addition they are um basically taking uh, applicants for a closed beta hmm. so if you're interested in trying the game uh tactics v obsidian brigade is the title of the game and as we see here on this page, coming to the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, the Nintendo Switch, and Steam. So you're getting it on basically all platforms here. Um, so if you are interested in, uh, in participating in the closed beta, uh, the link will be in the description. I'll go ahead and um, put this into the Twitch chat right now for those who are watching live. Um, but uh, you basically just give them your email address, your name. Um, they have like a, a little bit of a survey here, but uh, you can submit that. And uh, if you'd like to try the game out and give some feedback to them uh, for their closed beta, uh, go ahead and do that. Again, link in the description. I think it looks awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to try the game out myself. So uh, it was something that received a pretty warm reception when we talked about it a few weeks back. So the fact that they're in this phase, I think a lot of people will be interested in uh, giving the game a try. So if you like what, Final uh, Fantasy Tactics, try this game out. What system are you going to get it for? <sighs> PC. PC, <laughs> Steam, likely. yeah. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. They pro That's probably all they really have. I should have asked Paul about that, but... Uh, in terms of like whether the beta is going to be accessible on any other platform other than Ooh. just the PC version, mm. um, again, I mean, take the survey and it, you'll get all the information you need. But I would assume that for right now they're probably just testing the PC version. But um, I could be wrong on that, and if I'm wrong, Paul Metcalf, uh, yell at me in the comments. Tell me I'm a moron. Um, <laughs> okay, the other. Uh, the other uh, piece of work that comes from uh, the community here, piece of work, that's not really the right term for it, because uh, piece of work indicates like, oh, you're a piece of work, like you're freaking like a handful. No, this is uh, some work done by someone in the community who we want to share. <laughs> um, this one comes from, I'm going to say his name wrong, but I think it's Sir Supremakatakuri. Supreme? Wait, it's... A no, it's not Supreme because it's me. Suprema? 
Supremaka Takuri. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm very sorry. But I don't he says, hey, guys, I'm 17 and live in Germany. I wrote a little review for Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and I would appreciate if you would check it out and also give some feedback. I also posted this on Reddit, and my opinion was really controversial because this game has a really strong fan base and people don't want to respect opinions of others. I hope we can get into a rational discussion in this community. Please don't mind if there are still grammar mistakes as English is not my native language. Okay, now there's a very specific reason I wanted to choose this. Yeah, because there's a reason I have not covered Xenoblade Chronicles 2 very much on the channel. And I get fairly frequent requests on Twitter. People being like, you've, you've reviewed Xenoblade. You've read Xenoblade Chronicles X. Like... Why won't you review Xenoblade Chronicles 2? Are you ever going to do or review that? It's like, I'm sorry. I know that the reason you want me to do that is because you love it. And that's kind of like the whole thing with our channels. The whole theme is like helping people appreciate the things they love even more. Yeah. And, you know, the videos that we make. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I don't like this game like at all. <laughs> and so, like, I just I don't want to cover it for that reason. But. It was refreshing to see – another reason I wanted to, to talk about it too, um, you know, he's saying he's 17 and he's getting into, you know, writing and that sort of thing. I remembered back to when I first started doing my reviews. I was a little bit older. I think I was like 22 or 23 or something like that when I first started making like my reviews on YouTube and stuff. But um, – it just kind of reminded me going back to like the origins of when I started thinking and writing about games and stuff like that. And um, anyways, I thought it was well written and it goes over a lot of points that I have big problems with, uh, you know, because you've heard me talk on the podcast a little bit about all the fan service. You've heard me talk about the tutorials. You've heard me talk about a couple of things. But if you really want to know, like my full opinion on Xenoblade Chronicles 2, this is pretty much it. And he leads off. I'm just going to read his first paragraph because I think that that builds a really good thesis for my overall problem with Xenoblade Chronicles 2. He says, The Xenoblade series is best known for their great soundtrack, large-scale enemy encounters, massive worlds to explore, and big anime boot... Oh, wait, what happened here? This was my first reaction after seeing the game in motion, and not because of its change of art style, but because of a shift in overall tone. That last part, its shift in tone, is uh, what really... That's what I really struggled with because it's what I loved so much about the first game and what I feel has been lost in Xenoblade 2. So if you if you want to know, I mean, I don't agree with like every single point he makes. Obviously, he's an individual with his own opinions. Mine are a little different, <laughs> but it's very close. Like he goes over so many of the things that I really struggled with when I was playing this game. And so if you'd like to understand that better, I'm probably not going to ever go into super huge detail on why I didn't like this game, because that's not the point of our channel. But because there are so many people who ask me to do that, if you really want to know, the link to this article will be in the description, and if you read this, you'll get a better understanding of where I'm coming from and why I didn't really love the game too much. So, thank you for submitting that. Appreciate it. Um, okay. Let's move into two of our last questions here. These uh, came from Patreon. First one comes from Daniel Burnham. It says, Mike, you've mentioned that you like to play Final Fantasy VII on an annual basis. Yes, I do. <laughs> it 
It's also one of my favorite games, and I've played it perhaps five or six times myself. However, as I get older, I find myself less interested in replaying games or even revisiting books and movies, even ones that I greatly enjoyed the first time around. Have your habits shifted as well over the years? Do you think it's important to routinely visit or revisit uh, our favorite media if it comes at the expense of trying something new? Ah, now that there's limited time. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that time? Are you going to do something new or are you going to redo something old? I've been having that same dilemma. It, it is it is tough. Mm. It is tough because it's like, man, you know, I know I love this thing. and But this, is, this I think, boils down to my, like, overall personality, which in certain ways is very conservative. Um, when I go out to eat, I want to eat at the same place and eat at the same meal every time. Me too. I get the same thing on the menu. I know that I like that thing. Yeah. So if I eat that, then I will be satisfied. The risk of trying something new to me, if I don't like it, isn't worth it. I paid money and what? I know I could have had. Unsatisfied. <laughs> yeah. I could have had the thing I wanted and I could yeah. have been satisfied or, and you know, uh, other people uh, are, are different in that they'll be like, no, let's try this new place. And then you go there and they're like, yeah, they're excited to try the new thing and hopefully discover a new thing they like. But like if they don't like it, it's like, well, we could have gone <laughs> and done the thing that we know. So anyways, that's just my personality in general. So I think that has something to do with the fact that I'm a little bit opposite of Daniel. As I'm getting older, I find myself actually returning to the things that I know that I love and trying to find more in them trying to dig deeper, like find more meaning in them, whatever, rather than spending money to try new stuff. Um, there are so many games that came out last year that I wanted to try. Uh, games like um, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, I, wanted, I want to play that new Resident Evil 2 remake. Oh, it's yeah. not necessarily the same thing as a new thing, but anyways, there's lots of new games <laughs> that come out. That's a good that, medium between... Yeah, you're getting the same thing, but in a new way, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, I find myself actually, I, this is more recent. I think when, when, like, when I lived with you guys back in Denver, right, like I was getting really into like, okay, I'm going to get like every new game that comes out and I'm yeah, going like, to yeah. be like really um, on top of that and sort of like uh, start a channel where I'm, you know, talking about new games coming out. But what's actually happened is like slowly – more and more and more, I've cared less and less about the new stuff and just keep going back to the older games from my time growing up. Even, you know, some of them that I hadn't played before, but, um, like, here's a great example. I'm playing Final Fantasy IX on uh, Final Fantasy Fridays right now, and, like, I find that after I finish a session of playing that game, there's just, my mood is lifted, I feel mm. better, I'm, like man, I actually don't even want to stop playing that. Like, even though I've played it like three or four times. But yeah. that is just such a rare thing where you find a game that hooks you in that way to where you just love everything about it. That mm. even even if you buy a game that's considered pretty good, like a new game that comes out, there's still going to be elements of it that annoy me. Great example of this, uh, Super Smash Brothers um, uh, Ultimate on the Switch. Right? Like, when I play that with uh, my brothers or, or with other people, you know, maybe here at the office, they do a thing kind of every Saturday sometimes. But they'll get together and play that. I really, really like it. 
But I freaking hate that adventure mode, dude. I cannot stand it. Like, I just find myself, like, getting frustrated when I play that. And I I literally, I think it was just the other night, I was like, okay, let's see if we can get through it. I sat down and played, like, five or six battles, and I just went and took Smash Brothers out of my Switch, and I put it back in the box. And it's like, I don't even want to think about playing this game again. I'm going to not waste my time with that. And then I think I ended up, like, busting in Chrono Trigger on my DS. Mm. Uh, for the remainder of that night before I went to bed and started playing that again. So I think because that's my personality, that's just kind of like part of who I am, that I actually find myself more often shifting to the old stuff yeah. and not wanting to try the new stuff. <laughs> I, I have a similar situation. A ninjutsu kid commented and said the compromise is replay the game with someone else so that you get a new perspective. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. It is great advice. Unfortunately, my <laughs> wife, who I try to introduce, she's five and a half years younger than me, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just enough to where I grew up with the Super Nintendo. She grew up with the PS2. Right. And she doesn't get pixel art. She doesn't get it <laughs> at all. And so I have the SNES classic. I've you know modded it. I put some more stuff on it. Um, so I have the original Harvest Moon, right? And I'm like, holy cow, because me and my wife played uh, Stardew Valley together. And I'm like, sweet. She'll love this. This is like the roots. This is like, this is where Stardew Valley got its, like, everything from was the Super NES Harvest Moon. Well, the whole time, she was just telling me and pointing out why Stardew Valley looks better. Stardew Valley did this better. Stardew Valley did that better. And every single thing that I tried to do, and I just, it made me not actually want to play the game anymore. (laughs) So, Mm. like, you know, new perspectives are fun, but my wife doesn't much appreciate the old game. So it's, it's hard for me to find, I guess with my daughter, as she grows up, I'm going to, I'm going to start introducing her to the old games and hopefully she'll appreciate them. Probably less chance of her appreciating them though. Oh man, well, I guess it depends. Rough. Like, depends if you get with. them at a really early age before they have a chance to like go to their friend's house and see like the new cool stuff coming out. Exactly. You know what I mean, then I think that you can have like um, you can like embed a seed there where it's like yeah. that was their first experience. That way, with they'll a video always game. be nostalgic for that that right first experience. Yeah, like my dad. I think did this for me with his his music, his 1970s and 80s. My dad music. did too. Yeah, we both right? liked like 70s music. Yeah. I was way mm. into it. I always have been and I always yeah. will love that era of music because they were the best guitarists. My dad hit me with that from like the age of 2, 3. Like I those melodies, especially yeah. when it comes to music though because music is sort of like universally understood even by like little kids and babies. They can move yeah. to the rhythm and they feel it, right? Yeah. So that kind of era and that kind of style of music, like he implanted that in me, and I just loved that from a, from a young age, and so I can go back and, and appreciate that stuff. So I think if whatever the earliest age that a kid can sit down and and enjoy and really get, like Mario Brothers, maybe like the four ish, five ish age, something like yeah, that, where they're, like they're that. good enough to like beat a couple levels and like. Yeah. get somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think if you get them then, and that's before they get into kindergarten, before they get into school, and before they're they going to go over and see the PS5 friends, yeah. at their friend's house, you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. that they could probably develop like a special appreciation for the older stuff. But That's my only hope. <laughs> it's, it's too <laughs> late for my wife. So. 
Yeah, I, I've thought about that. I kind of talked about it a little bit with, um, with uh, or on my uh, Suikoden review, right? Like if, yeah, because I just feel like it's such a perfect starter, not just for the mechanics of JRPGs, for like the storylines, like the genre type, and yeah. like some of the tropes that have it, it, yeah. you know evolved within it. But it's like I could almost see that being similar to say my mom reading like chronicles of narnia to us growing up and me learning to love like fantasy um and and she read like a, a lot of like fantasy stuff and she introduced me to um never ending story as a young kid and mm-hmm. uh things like that and so i got really invested and i loved fantasy as a genre because i was introduced to that at, at a young age like that so if i were to sit down with my four five-year-old kid and i'm reading the 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 RPG to them as we're playing it, similar to you know a father or mother reading a book to their kid as they go to bed at night or something like that. I think that that would be another way that you could probably get them to really like, oh, like I, I associate that yeah, style yeah. of game with Create like this those. connection with my father growing up yeah. kind of a thing, right? And so that'd be one way to force your kids to like things. <laughs> that <you> like. <laughs> Coerce. Don't say force. We're just subtle. Like... It's just nudging brainwashing. Them out the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what's Anyways. funny though? I used to read the Lord of the Rings every year too. Yeah. I remember I didn't read Harry Potter for the longest time because I was like, Harry Potter sucks it's for <laughs> nerds. Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings is the better one, right? And I just yeah. read Lord of the Rings again. Finally, I read Harry Potter and I absolutely loved it. But I read Lord of the Rings like twelve times before I finally read Harry Potter once. I should get into an annual habit of reading. I, stuff. it's one i had for the longest time and i have not been able to continue it. i think i've read it once in the past five years yeah it's um i don't have that time anymore you're gonna have to bring it back on book club new yes soon soon from maybe this year by the way book club been reading a uh, crime and punishment isn't um, it crazy it's a freaking freaking crazy book man yeah <laughs> Talk about a, a story that does not fit into blockbuster or AAA sort of like tropes, a book that is almost entirely like in the head of a dude. Exactly, yeah. It's like, a philosophical like, trip. Just like examining like the process, like the mind's process of trying to rationalize and it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, like it a lot. Tomorrow? We'll talk about that tomorrow. All right. All right, last one. Last question. This comes from e wait is that right did i write that down is there a mistake (laughs) let me check i think it's just yeah it's just e e on patreon i didn't write that down wrong i was wondering if you guys could talk about how character design can be an effective storytelling device for visual mediums in conveying personalities tropes etc who are some of your favorite artists and character designers how do some character designs fit better than others into the overall narrative of a story what are some of your favorite character designs least favorite Hmm. It's a tough question because there's a lot of questions within it, but you know, as as much as I as I kind of like rail on uh, anime storytelling and a lot of JRPG storytelling in the yeah. modern time, especially one thing that I think that uh, that they do really well in both anime and in JRPGs is character design, where yeah. they express the character's personality through the way that the character is designed. They do a great job. Um, I just finished uh, Made in Abyss. Mm-hmm. You should watch it, by the way. Oh, but what is it? 
it's an anime. It's it's basically the most video game JRPG anime that you've ever found. <laughs> it's begging to be turned into a video game. There's like different levels and you have to do certain things and there's different effects on your body and there's all sorts of different animals and stuff that the further you go into this like subterranean world that like the the different animals appear and they're all crazy well designed and it's just like super cool you should you should check it out but they did a great job with the character design and having that reflect the personality of the characters mm. it's almost it's like halfway between a chibi art and like uh not gbr just not normally anyway, I, <laughs> I don't right. know how to put that but um yeah. yeah like when i was playing suikoden actually um this was something that really stuck out to me because you know we've been talking about how like the dialogue for instance is one thing that video games especially the video games we grew up with um right you know, it wasn't like great dialogue it wasn't written like it wasn't poetic well. yeah but at the same time like if if you took the character portraits away from the Suikoden text boxes, like mm-hmm. the dialogue boxes, and you just read it, I think a lot of it would read pretty similarly. Like it's like it's pretty nondescript, bland. Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, simplistic. But like as soon as you put Flick's face on there, I can like see his like you know his his like chip on his shoulder. I can like feel his um, his personality yeah. because those little portraits do such a good job of like the design of the characters in the way they wear their hair, the expression that's on the face, um, you know, the colors they choose to wear, like the 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 body type, like all of those things in Suikoden go so far to like actually telling us who the character is. And that's really important in a game like Suikoden with 108 freaking characters in it, right? Like the fact that you can make all those people feel different from each other just in the portraits. I think like I had a shot in the review where it shows all the character portraits. It's like a a book or something that's opened up and you see all the character portraits across two pages. And I look at each individual person and I'm like, yep, I remember that person's personality. I remember that person's personality. And I see that solely Mm. in a single image of the character's face that's good character design and i feel like um just uh japanese media in general with its with its anime and 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 uh, video games does a pretty good job of making the characters very distinct from each other and expressing that a lot just through the way the characters designed even before adding in any dialogue or performance art or anything else. So um, I think that's what draws me a lot and probably what draws a lot of people to Japanese media is the, the art itself is um, the design, which is very stylish. It's uh, it's, I think they just do a really good job of making characters feel distinct from each other in the art alone. So yeah, uh, some of my favorite character designs would be from yeah. Suikoden. I think Suikoden has amazing, uh, amazing character design. So, um, but that's true of like all the Final Fantasy games. It's true of just so many JRPGs that I grew up with, and I think that that was probably among the top reasons why I was so into it. Yeah, character design was huge in those early Final Fantasies. Well, in the mid Final, the PS Final Fantasies, PS One. Yeah. For sure. The character design was so, so important. And it was it was really, really well done. I mean, in America, we had these uh, 
I don't know. The the character design was a little bit more like G.I. Joe-ish. It was a little more generic. Mm-hmm. It was and I guess we've talked in the past about how that was kind of on purpose because the idea of role playing in the West is like, you know, the whole idea of a silent protagonist and like the Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing where you are that character. So they want to make him a bland vanilla person so that you can imprint yourself onto them, right? Whereas in Japan mm-hmm. it was like, no, super, super stylish and like go crazy with that. Make it look super unique, even though it's still a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, really interesting kind of stuff though. That was that's something Jap- that uh, Japan did for the video game industry that's that's been that's been awesome. I was actually gonna bring up Xenoblade Chronicles 2 though, talking about mm-hmm. character design and how it affects yeah. storytelling. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Almost in a negative way. Because yeah. now I haven't played the game, but I, I am aware of things and I have seen it quite a bit. And I, I'm aware that the main character, the young kid, he's got this weird kind of like overall baggy pant suit kind of thing going on. <laughs> and um the idea, there's a story behind it. The idea is that he like skydives in order to do something. I don't know. He, I haven't played the game. But point treasure being, hunting sort of thing. He yeah, goes, there's he a dives reason. Into the sea. There's a reason for why it looks like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sweet. I love it when games do that because it's unique. It's different. But there's a reason for it. And it tells you a little bit about his character. And the, the, the problem with Xenoblade Chronicles 2 lies in when you then meet other characters, specifically female characters, who are also dressed in a very peculiar way, uh, but there does not seem to be a reason behind it. And that's really kind of disappointing. Um, so that's a, that's probably one game where you get examples of both ways, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, here's a really cool story-oriented way of getting to know this character better through what he's wearing. And then here's a generic girl with boobs and, and you know, that that's you know yeah. there you go that's it you can you can tell the real motivation behind the design which um, is yes for fan service now absolutely there i'm gonna address this just because they're gonna people that bring it up is I that know. really a bad thing that you do something simply for fan service well hmm. i mean if that's what the audience is in it for then i guess like objectively no i mean and there's nothing wrong with it if that's what you're right. into but if you're talking about trying to like okay i think i brought this up in my final fantasy 10 review about the cinematography how it's like perfectly framed for the purpose of just like the camera is literally just like handheld walking up straight to her chest just pointing it straight there <laughs> it's like not subtle at all it's like they i know what you're doing here right <laughs> and so i bring that up and i called it mm-hmm. i think i called it distracting and cheap in the in the in the review Hmm. There was some comment recently that was like, don't let anyone tell you that uh, that enjoying that or, or being into that is, is bad or he's, something he's like wrong. that. wrong, yeah, yeah. He was basically trying to say that I am a, um, it, like the tone of it or the, the subtext that I read in it was that like I have this puritanical sort of like viewpoint of sexuality and that I've been told this is wrong and that's the reason why and that you shouldn't feel guilty. What's like, the no. story reason for her to be dressed like that? That's all I would say to that. I wasn't distracted because, oh, boobs are in my face or, oh, I'm afraid of sexuality. That's not what it was. Because in that scene, they're talking about something pretty important contextually to the story. And the mm. camera's going, it's, the, it's like the equivalent of just some dude just like making a bunch of noise in the middle of a scene where they're talking about something important. It's just coming up with just like being distracting for no reason. 
It's right. the equivalent of that with a camera. The camera's like flipping upside down and just like spinning around and like coming up to Orin's face and then blah, 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 let's take a look at uh, her boobs real quick and then let's just frame this this butt like this. It's just like, dude, what the f is going on here? It's not right. it's not leading to a congruence with what's being talked about and and the tone of the scene. So yeah, that's the reason it's distracting. So to me, I, I hold a similar view to you in terms yeah. of the the female character design in Xenoblade 2 because... Very uninspired, yeah. The character of the Aegis is not embodied, like her, her antiquity, her importance to this world, like her uh, wisdom and like uh, even her power, like raw power, is mm-hmm. not embodied in the character design, in my opinion. And so it then becomes, well, I know why this was done, and it's definitely not for the benefit of the story. And to me, that hurts the story. Exactly. It's a distraction. If the game was not made to to tell a story, if the story is just there to be there, and the real purpose of the game is to offer fan service to people, then I I would disagree that that's the case. I think they're just trying to have their cake and eat it too in that respect. Yeah. But if that was the case, then okay, fine, whatever. But that's not what the game's about at its core. Right. Yeah. So. Exactly. That's not to say that any any shot like that never ever has any place in anything ever. Yeah, that's not. not not to say that there's some like. It's just that <laughs> it doesn't work for that. Anyways, if you if you if you have a sex scene that like is actually integral to the plot of the story that, uh, or, or if you're, you're making a story about relationships and, and sex is part sure. of relationships. Yeah, exactly. Like, like fine, fine. Right. Like that would be appropriate. That would be, but, in fact, it would be something you'd want to do, yeah. but, but that's not fan service. <laughs> that's not, but, right. but to have it in a scene where they're talking about like, uh, what happened here, like in, in ancient uh, times or whatever, and, and they're talking about like putting together like the complex pieces of the puzzle and understanding like the villain's like intentions and and then just the cameras like whoop a doop doop boop boop boop. It's just like what is going on? Why? Why now? You know? Because they want the fourteen year old boys to really pay attention, right. <laughs> and that is the reason why it's distracting and cheap. Exactly. Not because exactly. there's anything wrong with women's bodies. Not because of anything like that. Not because there's anything wrong with sexuality. It's because it See, and you don't even need to say context. that, though, is the dumb part. People just I know. kind of... Anyways, people are just dumb with that stuff sometimes. Super dumb. Okay. That's the end of our discussion. Thank you for watching, everybody. That was it. We're going to be back again tomorrow evening around the same time to talk about crime and punishment. You guys haven't joined our book club? Join it. Join it. I'm really enjoying reading again. It's something I hadn't done for a long time. I was mostly just playing video games. And uh, <laughs> who does that? <laughs> you nerd. <laughs> video games are cool, but like <laughs> there's other stuff I want to do too. So I've been really enjoying doing more reading. So cool. uh, join us tomorrow night. Usually it happens on Tuesday night. This week we delayed it because the podcast is happening today, but. No. Um, anyways, other than that, you guys have a great week. We'll see you again soon. Peace out.